Welcome, welcome. Steve Inman here with the game day, and this is The Hedge, where we hold court and discuss all the latest basketball news. Let's get right into it. Our guest this week is Boston Globe reporter and all things Celtics aficionado, Gary Washburn. Gary, welcome to The Hedge. How are you today? I'm great. Great to be here. It is. Uh, I'm really glad we're doing this today. Obviously, the Celtics are the big, you know, topic of conversation. If we had this conversation a few weeks ago, it may have went a little different, but the Celtics are on a four game win streak. They're 19 and 17, which believe it or not, is actually good for fourth in the East right now. Where do you see this team at right now? They've definitely gone through their ups and downs. They started eight and three, then they lost uh, 14 of the next 21 games. Uh, kind of uh, affected by COVID. I wouldn't say ravaged because a lot of teams like Memphis and Washington have been ravaged, but they were definitely affected by COVID. Um, some injuries, bringing Kimba Walker back 12 games to the season. Uh, they've lost Marcus Smart. He's been out for a month. Uh, some definitely some ups and downs. Uh, they blew that game at New Orleans. Uh, they lost, uh, they played a terrible game against the Wizards. Like they've, against, you know, they've lost to Sacramento. So some of the league's, uh, you know, bottom feeders or teams that, that shouldn't beat them have beaten them. Um, and then they've got win, two wins over the Clippers. Um, Three wins over Toronto, you know, wins over Milwaukee. So, it, you know, it's kind of it's kind of crazy how this how inconsistent they've really been. They've been playing down to the competition as well. Does that fall on Brad Stevens? Oh, oh obviously, uh, when you don't perform to expectations, you play down to your opponents. It is part coaching. I don't think it's Stevens is telling them, "Well, take this opponent lightly." I think he kind of treats his players as men and expects them to motivate themselves, but they're, they're going to need, need to be some adjustments. You know, they're going to need some other motivations. Uh, the players are progressively younger, so they're kind of up and down, you know, the, the, in terms of their mentality and their approach. It's not as steady as, let's say, a, a veteran club. So I do think Brad Stevens takes a, a great deal of responsibility because they've got to be ready to play. I mean, they've like I said that, Two losses to Atlanta, including one where Danilo Gallinari hit a career-high 10 three-pointers. Like, you just can't. That can't you know, you can't have – you can't go out there with this half effort. Teams will embarrass you. And so the Celtics have to figure out a way to be more steady. I mean, to be, to, to, to be more on the course of improvement. You're going to lose games. You're going to play teams that are better. They start off the second half with Brooklyn. So that's going to – obviously going to be probably a loss. But – you know, they got to find a way to bounce back, not let uh, one loss turn into three losses. I think they're capable of it. Um, they just got to be a little bit mentally stronger. I think it starts with Kemba Walker, right? He's not been the same since that all-star game last year. You know, they don't really have a, you know, a distributor on the court, a guy who can make guys better when he's not right, right? So how, what's going on with him? Is he still banged up or is he just, this is who he is at this point? Well, he's been get playing progressively better and more consistent, but it's also because he's gotten some rest. He's not playing the second night of back-to-backs, um, and that's good for the Celtics in the sense of you, you're keeping the knee fresh, and their schedule only has two back-to-backs in March, so he'll only miss two games. So they'll, they'll have a healthy and an engaged Kimba for most of the, this month. Um, I think he's improving. He's just got to get his confidence back. He's not one of those guys that his confidence is unwavering. He's just going to keep chucking them up there. Like playoffs last year, and his struggles, not being healthy. His struggles this year at times has definitely gotten into his head. So he's just got to recover mentally. I think physically he's there. He's got the jump in his step. He, he, he looks uh, 
just healthier and more nimble on his feet, uh, attacking the basket. But he's just got to hit some of those shots, and he's starting to hit some of those shots. He, he averaged 20 points a game in February. It wasn't great shooting percentage, but the fact that he averaged 20 points a game shows you that he is making some progress. So aside from Kemba, what needs to go right in the second half for Boston to be able to match up with a Brooklyn or a Philly? You already said that, you know, Brooklyn, that's a loss, you know, right now, the way they're playing compared to Boston. How does that match up to get to the playoffs? What, did Bo- what does Boston need to do to become that contender, that NBA finals threat? They just have to have more consistency. Uh, Jason Tame is struggling. He has not been the same since he contracted no COVID-19. Um, he's got to get back on track and be not – Right now, he's kind of turned himself into more like a fourth-quarter guy where he's struggling, and all of a sudden he'll turn it on like he did uh, for a couple of these games in the, the four-game winning streak. He's got to be more consistent, get off to better starts. Him and Jalen Brown need to be that one-two punch. They need a definitely a, a better and engaged and consistent Kimball Walker. And then they need a, a better and more consistent bench. They can't have guys not doing their job. Jeff Teague has played well late. I mean, he was probably on the verge of probably maybe being waived um, maybe a month ago because he was just playing so poorly, he has stepped up his play. Um, they need consistent play. The, the two big men, Tice and Thompson, I think are fine. Like, I don't, I don't think that they're an issue. People are, have said that, you know, the Thompson signing wasn't uh, smart. And I, I think Trisha Thompson's giving you exactly what he does, rebounding, uh, you know, a little touching around the rim to score. You know, he's been a better free throw shooter. That's what he does. And he plays solid defense. And Tice has done what, what Tice is going to do. He's, a, he's maximized his potential. But they need other guys to step up. Shimmy Ojale, uh, you know, Peyton Pritchard, who's had a good rookie year, needs to be. Peyton Pritchard's been pretty yeah, good for them. Yeah, one of the probably top 10 rookies uh, this year. He didn't make that the Rising Stars game. But I do think he's been one of the top 10 rookies this year. They need him to step up even more. They need their bench. They need help. And obviously, and I'm sure we'll talk about this later, that trade exemption, they need to make a move to add to the roster. They've running, they're running a bunch of younger guys out there. They don't have that veteran kind of gray beard on the bench. Also, too, they'll get Marcus Smart back. That will help them improve another defender, another guy who can shoot, who's capable of hitting a three. So that will add to the element. Yeah, let's get to that trade exception right now. They have a $28.5 million trade exception for the Gordon Hayward deal. Who are guys out there that can make sense for this team? Because as you said, they don't have a lot of bench guys, a lot of assets on this team right now that they could flip. It's like, yes, they can go take on a big salary. They can use that exception and not even include a player. They could just trade the exception and some draft. What pieces do they have to go get a big-time player? Yeah, well, the thing, you, you, you would have to get a team – You'd have to get a team who's in rebuild that just wants to get rid of a salary that's maybe a multi-year player. Like, I think a target for them is like a Harrison Barnes of Sacramento. Right. You know, Barnes is on in the middle of a deal. He signed, I think, a four-year, $100 million, 105-year deal that he signed with the Kings or a four-year deal. He's in the middle of that deal. They're not really winning. He's not adding to their winning total. You know, they're still kind of the, the same old Kings. So would you take a trade exception? and some draft, uh, you know, draft picks back for Barnes, and he fits in that. But Sacramento has to figure that they're sellers. The thing about this year with two additional playoff teams or the play-in, there's a bunch of teams that st- still don't want to be sellers. They want to be buyers. 
you know, I'm sure ownership with the fact that some of these teams are losing money with no fans are like, hey, we want to make this plan. We want some playoff money. We want to be in that final 20 teams to make the playoffs. Uh, so teams like Orlando, Sacramento, who are four or five games back, could try to make a push. So it's going to be interesting because the trade deadline is about three weeks. What teams feel like they're sellers? Can the Celtics pull off a deal like this? You know, Orlando's a team I think that they could look to also. Terrence Ross is a guy that they could definitely use. You know, they're looking at Nikola Vucevic, which is great. I don't know if the Magic are ready to, yeah, ready to trade an all-star center and just give hand the keys to like Mo Bamba and eventually Jonathan Isaac when he comes back. Who knows what the Magic are going to do because they've been ravaged with injuries and they've played poorly since a good start, you know, or a guy like Aaron Gordon who's out hurt right now like there are guys out there that can fit the Celtics bill but do the do these teams want to deal with the Celtics is a trade exception enough um how many first round picks would you have to sacrifice the Celtics don't like trading first round picks but I think they're going to have to in these situations so there's a lot of questions that will be answered in the next two and a half weeks with Harrison Barnes he's on the second year of a four-year 85 million dollar deal and when he signed that deal I was like shocked and the idea that now that trade might be an asset for them that might be able to go net them something is crazy to me but i just think it shows how much of a seller's market this is because as you said the kings don't want to sell and if they don't want to sell who is selling you know i mean it's 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 houston because you know they have nothing really going on right now and that's about it like there's not a lot of teams pistons probably the three teams right that you would say right now like have no shot at the playoffs at the play in and like the, the Pistons have, you know, like they have Jeremy Grant, who is under contract for a few years. They don't want to trade him for, for a bag of balls, right? They don't really have anything else that a team would want. So it's, they have a bunch of there's players. not a lot of, like you know, pieces out there. Yeah. Interested in Jeremy Grant. If you're Troy Weaver, the general manager of the Pistons, and you, you've, you, you have you promised that? Jeremy Grant to be the centerpiece of your franchise, you trade him three months later, that's terrible. That's a terrible look. That's a terrible look where you're, you've already bought up. Yeah, you've already bought off Blake Griffin. Grant's met expectations. He's going to be a standout player. He'll probably be an all-star in the next couple of years, um, you know, because he kind of felt stifled in Denver. And when I looked at him in the bubble, I was like, wow, he's really going to get paid because he's, he played really well in the bubble for the Nuggets. So if it's Troy Weaver, you're not going to move three months later, uh, you know, Jeremy Grant, unless there's some kind of, like, you really win the deal. Um so I think the Celtics have to be realistic in their expectations, shoot for two teams, Orlando and Sacramento, and try to see if they will be sellers. I'm sure the Kings are not thrilled that they're paying Harrison Barnes that much money and they're not winning because you still have Buddy Hill making money. I wonder if he's the guy they can go out and get. Yeah, Buddy Hill, you know, he's guy, a- I, I think I, I think Hill would be a helpful piece for them, uh, you know, if – there's a level of inconsistency with Heald that has not made him like one of those elite shooters, elite players, but I do think he could help them also. Um, I know the Kings probably want to get rid of one of those guys. Remember, you got Fox there about, you know, the, the clock is about to start on his deal. And then Halliburton's going to come pretty soon and he's going to want money. What do you do with Marvin Bagley? Do you pay him eventually? Like they've got some financial decisions to make in a small market. Um, that I'm sure they would love to get to rid themselves of Barnes or Heald's contract. 
I definitely wonder if Buddy Heald getting out of Sacramento and all the dysfunction that's gone in there for the last few years. If you trade him to Boston, does that up his game? I really think that's something that that very well could happen. Yeah, I do. I do think he's a, one of those guys that probably in a different organization will have more success and people would know him more. I mean, I, when I've seen him play, um, you know, he's been a knockdown three-point shooter, a definite guy you can't leave alone beyond the three-point line. It's just like any – in Sacramento, it's just none of this has led to winning. Like, this was supposed to be the year. Last year, they were supposed to, you know, come into the bubble and make noise, and they were terrible in the bubble. And then this year, they were supposed to, you know, they everyone talked about how great of a draft they had, and I think Halliburton's going to be a fantastic player um, with Fox, but and, and Bagley is, is actually showing some potential. But it's just whatever. They, they just can't get it done. So I think they're due for some change. All right, Gary, I know you covered the NBA for the Globe, but do you mind if we take a look back at your glory days and talk a little Pac-12 basketball? I know you're a Cal Golden oh, Bears boy. guy, and yeah, they're just awful yeah, this season. And, you know, the Pac-12 the Pac-12 only has, you know, one team in that, you know, AP Top 25. What's going on? Uh, well, it's a, this has been a cycle that's, that's been like this for, for years now. The best players in the West Coast don't want to go to the West Coast schools. They want to go to North Carolina, Duke, Kansas, Kentucky, Syracuse, Michigan, Michigan State. They want to play with the big boys. They want to be on ESPN three days a week. They want to, be, they want to play in the big schools. The Pac-12 doesn't offer that. You know, the Pac-12 has a, a decent television contract. The Pac-12 network, no one has it on their cable package. Um, so it's just they're fighting against, you know, there's, not, there's plenty of talent in, this, in the West Coast, but the players don't want to go. And then the, the, a lot of these teams uh, underachieve, uh, unfortunately. I, I remember, you know, if you look at the University of Washington, for example, you know, they had a team with uh, uh, yeah, DeJounte Murray a couple years ago and Marquise uh, Chris. They didn't make the tournament. Both those guys went to the pros. Like, this, a couple years, last year, they had, they had a couple of guys get drafted. Like, you're having teams underachieve. But, you know, look at Oregon. Oregon's producing pros, Peyton Pritchard, but they get to the second round of the tournament, and last year there was no tournament. But the, the Pac-12 teams are underachieving pretty much. It doesn't, it's not a good look for the league. You've got good coaching. You know, you got, you got you know, uh, you know Cronin at UCLA, and you got, you got good coaching, you know, but it just seems like they just fall short. And Cal, I mean, I can't really – I mean – Cal's been, it's been hard for years since Jalen, the, the Jalen Brown team that was supposed, you know, they lost in the first round of the tournament to Hawaii. Oh, Christ. I mean, uh, we'll bring that up. It's like, um, it's just, it's, it's hard to be a Pac-12 fan. It's definitely hard to be a Cal fan. And I'm not going to ever stop, but it's going to be hard to be, it's hard to be a Cal fan. But the Pac-12, it's hard to watch your conference and you see the talent that comes out of the West Coast and the guys and how many West Coast guys you know, uh, from James Harden, who actually went to a Pac-12 school, to Russell Westbrook and all, all those guys went to Pac-12 schools. I mean, sorry, are from the West Coast. You know, a lot of great talent in the West Coast, the Bay Area, Seattle, uh, L.A., even Phoenix has some, some talented players. But a lot of those guys are like, I want, I'd rather play in the Big 12. I'd rather play in the SEC. I'd rather play what is real basketball. That's been a problem the Pac-12 for 30 to 40 years now. The players look at ESPN, they got cable, 
They got phones. They look at, they don't see, uh, they look at Big Monday. They don't look and see USC, UCLA. They might see them occasionally on Fox, but they're, they want to play with the big boys. Hey, you know what? It just takes one time in the tournament, one random Pac-12 team going on a big run to the final four, and it, it's all back from there. It just takes one one trip like that. I've seen that. It, it's funny because the Pac-12, the, the women, the, the Pac-12, for the women, is one of the best conferences in the country. I mean, they they are, are very good in, in, on the women's side, but the men have just not been able to figure it out. So, uh, you know, it, it's a... It, if you if you're a Pac-12 fan, it's it's hard. It's a glutton for punishment. You look at your teams, you know how many two, three might get into the tournament, four maybe um, this year. You know, but with teams they they eat each other up in conference play, and then by the time they get to the tournament, they're losing to Davidson or losing to uh, you know Iowa State, who they finished eighth in the conference. It's, it's something like that. So. It's tough to be a Pac-12 fan. It's tough to be a Cal fan, uh, but you just keep try to keep your head up. Yeah, we'll see how it goes from here. Gary, thank you so much. Where can people find your work? The BostonGlobe.com, BostonGlobe.com, sports, and my Twitter is GWashburnGlobe. So for NBA stuff, I write a, a weekly NBA column. I also wrote a book with Mark Spears on the life of Spencer Haywood. Uh, fascinating. Uh, he was the first player to ever leave school early, and he had to, like, people – Younger people don't understand that, like the LeBrons and the Kobe's and the Kevin Durant's, were always allowed to go from high school or for uh, be a hardship case, leave school early. The NBA, the NBA wants you to do four years or be four years removed from your high school class. Spencer Haywood went to the Supreme Court and fought that and won. Um, so he kind of opened the door for Kevin Garnett and all of our favorite players over the years, Magic Johnson all these players to leave school early, be able to have the right to leave school early and to play in the NBA. So I've written a book on him. So a lot of good stuff, but yeah, definitely enjoy being here. Thank you so much, Gary. Really appreciate you taking the time. We'll talk to you soon. Coming up next, we're going to talk to SEC expert Blake Lovell with just two weeks before March Madness. Welcome to the show, Blake. Thanks for having me, Steven. I really appreciate it, man. All right, so let's talk about the SEC Conference Tournament. There are a couple clear favorites here, starting with an Alabama team that surprised a lot of people. Are the Crimson Tide the favorites to become the first team in 14 years to win both SEC football and basketball in the same year? Yeah, I mean, they've got a good chance, don't they, just given uh, how they played this season. And they're they're clearly, you know, one of the, the, the most complete team in the SEC, I would say, just in terms of how they're built. I mean, you just look at all the different guys they have. I mean, you know, everybody loves the three. They shoot the three like crazy. Um, they're just – they're such a really, really good team. And I think if you go into the SEC tournament, you're looking at Alabama saying, man, they, they really did some pretty special things during the regular season. And I think, you know, the other team we'll probably talk about is Arkansas. Um, those are your two teams because I think everyone else is kind of behind them. But there's no doubt that Alabama, um, they have the guard play. They have the, the star power. Like, they, they've got what you need, I think, to really make a run here in the SEC tournament. Alabama really just came out of nowhere, right? They had the seventh best odds in October to win the SEC. And now Alabama has the ninth best odds in the entire country to win the whole thing. It's really just incredible how things change over the season. Yeah, it is. And I think, you know, it was one of those deals where as we started, it was just sort of like, we know the kind of style, like they play this up and down, like high tempo, lots of threes. Like they just, I think their style is just all meshed together. And everybody always says, you know, live by the three, die by the three and all that. But 
like they're living, like they're just, um, they're making shots. And I think for them, you know, they just, their approach has been better than what, you know, a lot of other teams have had in the SEC who have been really up and down, you know, it's just been such an inconsistent year, I think for the league as a whole. Uh, but Alabama has kind of just stayed the course. And like you said, they, they sort of came out of nowhere because a lot of people kind of had a peg right there in that middle uh, in the SEC. Right. I mean, they had that big year a few years ago with Colin Sexton. He had that crazy, what was it, the layups to uh, to get them in. And, you know, he's going crazy. He's on the ground. And, you know, they kind of took a step back once he went to the NBA to the Cavs. And now here they are again, just doing their thing. Yeah, I mean, it's all about the guards, man. I mean, you know, like someone who watched a lot of college basketball, like it's just the guard play. You've got to have it. And I think Alabama's guards, like you talked about, I mean, they, they brought in Sexton a couple of years ago, and it's just like, you know, they had Kyra Lewis last year. And, and you know, Nate Oates is just like, he's that guy. Like he knows how valuable guards are. And he's just got five or six guys he can turn to at any time in terms of just his backcourt. And, and that has made them, you know, so entertaining to watch, but it's also helped them win a lot of games, so. All right, let's talk Razorbacks here. They're red hot as of late, including a win over Alabama. But the Vegas odds for them to win the whole NCAA tournament are surprising at plus 4,000. Why don't people believe in the Razorbacks right now? Well, I'm not really sure because um, if you just look at them, like they, they're playing as well as anyone, I think, in the country outside of Gonzaga, you know, teams like that. Like, I feel like they are right there in that, that next tier of teams that are just on fire. And, you know, they're just – I mean, they are – they are doing things that, quite frankly, Alabama's not doing right now. And I think that's one of the things that you look at when you compare those two teams going into the SEC tournament. I mean, Arkansas is beating, you know, teams probably the way you, you think they should be beating teams. You just look at some of the games they've won recently um, here towards the end of the season. So I think you look at them that way and say this is a team that is kind of building into that complete team type of mold as well. Um, if you say why maybe people aren't giving them enough value – I wonder if it's just because their non-conference play, I mean, their, their non-conference schedule wasn't great. And I think that's where they built up a lot of wins early to where, you know, maybe, maybe people sort of formed their opinion and said, well, we don't really know. And then they started two and four in SEC play. And so I think maybe people kind of formed an opinion on them. But if you haven't watched Arkansas play since then, you're missing out because they have completely turned into a different team. Um, so I think that's it. Is they, Their non-conference resume, not impressive. But what they're doing now is, is as impressive as it gets. I always wonder why coaches schedule these you know, very weak non-conferences, right? Like it doesn't really help you out in any way. I did my undergrad at St. John's here in New York. And basically every year it was a, it was a cakewalk, right? They're playing these borderline D1 schools who just like come in and, you know, they steal a game from St. John's at, in Queens over here. And it just like it kills your season because there's very little upside, right, like to beating these teams. And the downside is tremendous. You you fall asleep for a game and you, you that's a mark on your resume that you can't undo. Yeah. And I think, you know, I guess in a year like this, I'm sure for coaches, it was a, not like it was difficult, I'm sure, scheduling wise. But still, I think, you know, it's I guess, too, it's probably hard to gauge sometimes. But at the end of the day, like you know, the numbers are what they are, and you can probably get a pretty good read on some of these teams heading into the season. And I think actually for Arkansas, when you kind of compare their resume, you know, to a team like Alabama or something, I think a lot, Arkansas is like six of their wins, I want to say, have come like in the, the quadrant four range in terms of like the NCAA tournament, you know, which looks at the net rankings, the quad one, two, all that stuff. And I think, you know, that's a pretty high number when you compare it to, I think, a team like Alabama who has zero. So, like, they haven't played anyone in that quad four range. So, 
I think that's something too that probably stands out if you're trying to compare teams like that. No, that's very interesting. So here on the hedge, you know, I'm a big NBA guy, right? So the, I'm looking at the turn. I'm looking at the March Madness tournament, and I'm looking at these NBA prospects that are coming in for next year. So you know, Arkansas has a big one in Moses Moody. He, you know, a point guard. Every team is looking for a point guard. My Knicks are always looking for a point guard. He's supposed to be in this top ten range. I've seen him like somewhere between you know six, seven, eight, nine. What do you see from him? And is he uh does he remind you of anybody? You know, he's a guy that I think. Whereas you can look at certain, and we know, like, again, you and I watching basketball, like everyone loves a guy that can play, you know, four different positions. Like you feel like you can put him anywhere on the floor and you can plug him in and do those different things. And I feel like he's a guy that can be that maybe potentially, you know, at the next level, you know, you look at different things, size, athleticism. But if you just look at his numbers, like in college, like this guy can score as good as anyone. He can rebound. Like he's, he's, I think he sees the floor really where he's just got that, for, for a freshman, he's got an awareness, I think, on both sides of the floor to where it's like, you know, you don't always see that with, with a freshman. I think the one thing, too, is he's just gotten so much better. You know, you take a guy from the beginning of the season to where he is now, like he's an SEC player of the year type guy. Like he's that good, I think. Um, and look, he's the big reason why Arkansas, as we just talked about, is kind of where they are. Right. So um, I'm trying to think of comparisons with him. It's hard to do right now, but but I do think like he's a guy that the way he plays, like his game is going to translate to the NBA level. And, you know, we can we can kind of see sometimes if we look at a guy and say, well, maybe that guy's a great college player. I don't know about the NBA, but I just think he's got, you know, he's got the size, he's got the athleticism, like he's got the stuff you need, I think, to really play and, and play many years probably in the NBA. There are five teams currently, um, you know, in the dance by most experts with Ole Miss as that sixth team on the bubble. Which of these teams in the SEC are people overlooking right now? You know, I think if you just look at it in terms of maybe what they bring and their resume overall, I think Missouri is a team that they've lost some games they shouldn't lose, but they've also got, you know, another player of the year type guy and Drew Smith. Um, you know, he's kind of a, a Moses Moody type player that just does a little bit of everything. Um, you know, he's a season older guy and that's what Missouri has. Missouri's the most experienced team in the SEC. They're one of the most experienced teams in the country. I think in a tournament setting, a team like that, um, is one that I, I probably wouldn't count. I mean, just count out because I think, you know, they have that experience and these are guys that have played together for two or three years. Whereas in a season like this, you know, the young teams like Kentucky and ones like that, that have just added so many new guys, they just don't have any experience and they didn't have a normal offseason. So I think a team like Missouri, I would keep my eye on because they haven't been overly consistent towards the end, but they're one that has a lot of quality wins. We talk about like those quad wins, like they've got, I think seven, maybe quad one wins. Like they, they beat Illinois, you know, they'd beat Oregon teams like that. Um, so I would, I would kind of keep my eye on Missouri because if they put it together, I think they're a team that, that could be a sneaky sort of good team, maybe in tournament play. You brought up Kentucky, right? So it's been a horrible year for Kentucky. It's been a horrible year for basically all of the blue bloods other than maybe Kansas, who has also been up and down this year. You know, UNC is bad. Duke is bad. Kentucky is bad. What happened? Is it really just a coincidence? Is it the lack of fans? Is it the canceling of the schedule? Like, were they, were they expected to all be this poorly run this year? Yeah, I did not expect. I mean, I will say this. I thought that Kentucky would struggle a little bit. Now, obviously, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I thought they would be, you know, sitting here with as few wins as they have. But right. like, I think, though, you could compare this team and we talk about like NBA comparisons and stuff. 
like the Aaron Fox, you know, Malik Monk, Bam Adebayo, guys like that. I don't think you really saw that with this freshman group with Kentucky. Like, I think you could have looked at those guys. They don't got the pros. You're yeah, saying. like they don't have those, no, those future and, pros. You know, when those guys were at Kentucky, whatever year that was, I want to say that was four, maybe four years ago, something like that, where you had yeah. that, you, you had that group with those three guys in particular. Like you looked at Fox, Monk, and Adebayo and said, like, those are NBA guys. Like 100%, like you knew they had those it factors. They were going to be in the NBA. And we're seeing it now, right? I mean, look at what these guys are doing. Um, But like, yeah, and it's just like this group, like they've got NBA players, but like they don't have NBA players, you feel like, as quick as those guys were. Like they were not as adjusted or maybe ready yet to take those reins. And I think – that's the difference. And that you've seen it like with this team on offense, like Kentucky looks lost on offense sometimes. And I don't know the last time we've ever said that um, where they've just been so bad at times, not being able to score the ball. And that's not, the, you know, that's not to take away from guys like VJ Boston and guys like that who are going to be NBA players, but this team, it just hasn't come together. And I do think the off season, not having everyone basically flipping your entire roster, which Cal does as we know every year, but it's like this was an extreme example, though, to where he only had like one guy coming back and that guy, what, averaged four points last year. So it's like just completely different. And I think that's really one of the biggest reasons why they have struggled the way they have. I haven't thought about that. Right. Because like they do churn over this roster every year and you're like, all right, like they lost Tyrese Maxey to Philly. They lose Emmanuel quickly to the Knicks. And you're like, all right, well, they'll find new guys. Right. They do this every year, but they didn't have that practice time to get those guys, you know, acclimated into the season. And all of a sudden you start and you're like, all right, like there's going to be no fans. You can't, you can't practice, you know, coach Cal doesn't, if you, if you don't play well, coach Cal is going to move you on to somebody else. It's, it is what it is, but it's crazy to, to think uh, we didn't see that coming. Uh, it's different too. And right. And, you know, in, in Kentucky's leaned on more older guys too. Like they brought in grad transfers and, you know, sometimes I think it's different because like, you know, I mean, you know, like from Washington, Kentucky's different. Like it's a different animal. Like you can play somewhere like, you know, average 20 points somewhere else, but you go to Kentucky and maybe you average eight. Like it's just, is the pressure's different. Like the expectations are different. And so I think that that plays into it too, where they were maybe expecting some of those older guys to come in and, and they've still been good players, but I just don't know that those guys have maybe been able to help along the younger group, like maybe some of the others we've seen over the years. So, All right, Blake, before we wrap up the show, I want you to tell me right now who's your pick to uh, to win it all. I'm going to stick with the Zags in terms of just the incident. I mean, I just – look, I know it's a boring answer, but – No, like, that's that's a good answer. Right. So the boring answer is the right <laughs> answer. We haven't seen a team just completely decimate people the way that they have at times this season. You know, we're not even talking about the WCC. Like, they, they were beating good teams good early – I mean, what is it? West Virginia was really the only team I thought that kind of hung with them uh, early in the season. I guess Iowa to an extent. But um, so I'm going to go with the Zags. I know it's boring, but um, that's it. That's that's the pick. No, that's there's nothing boring. There's nothing boring about that. You know, the way Suggs is playing Corey Kispert. Those are NBA guys, obviously. And I think NBA fans should follow them more than anybody right now. Gonzaga, they might be the pick. I'd probably pick them right now too myself. Yeah, I think that's it. And if you were talking about Moses Moody, so I think yeah. the, the best comparison, I would probably look at a guy like that. Someone who can be like a sharpshooter type guy, just got a smooth jump shot, um, you know, six 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 seven range guy. Um, I saw this and, and I had to like, I was thinking of, cause I, I put some notes the other day and I just pulled them up on my computer because I was looking at different draft spots for SEC guys in the NBA. 
Joe Johnson was one of the guys that I saw somewhere and, and I had on my list because I was thinking, you know, guys that like just they have the link, like again, the, the size and you're thinking about guys that could just shoot it and they can be like a sharpshooter type guy. That was the one that stood out to me when I was probably putting my notes for some of the SEC guys going to the NBA. Um, but I'm trying to think if like w- what's the comparison of like him in the NBA right now? Like who's that guy, the Joe Johnson-esque type guy, I guess that's in the NBA currently. That's a right. That's a good comp. I mean, if you get that with the seventh pick in the draft, you're <laughs> yeah, sure. like you know, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like, be pretty happy with that. I think, and that that was the one that stood out to me because I was like, you know what, that that makes sense. Like, I could see a guy like that, and, and we've seen it. What he's done at Arkansas, like he's just man, that like he does, like, and he's got the length, the size. He just and he can knock down shots, and I, I love a guy that can that can make a jump shot anywhere on the floor. And so that's that's Moses Moody. And so do so do so do I. So do the NBA teams. Everybody yes. loves that. That's the number one <laughs> skill these teams are looking for right now. Can yes. you hit your jumpers, uh, Blake? Thank you so much. We're definitely going to have to have you on again come uh, tourney time to talk about this and uh, anything we can plug for you before we wrap up the show. No, I appreciate it, man. Like you said, I'm just doing college basketball, SEC work all over the place. Um, yeah, just uh, check out everything. You can find me on Twitter uh, at the Blake Level, and uh, yeah, everything else, man. It's it's an exciting time of year. We're we're all smiling, like we're just we can't help it. Like it's just so much exciting stuff on the way. So yeah, this is March. It's the best time of the year. Can't wait. The weather's about to get warm. We're about to have you know wall to wall college basketball all day long and. <laughs> Thank you so much. That is going to do it for us here on The Hedge. Remember to follow the game day on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, and we will see you next week.